Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Amen. Who's reading January's book club read? It's fantastic. Yeah, not everybody has to, don't, don't out yourself if you're not. So uh, rhetorical, right? But it's fantastic. My suggestion is truly that everyone reads it, embracing godly character, the Christian community's response to a godless culture. Consider this quote from the first chapter. Too many parents feel inadequate, incompetent, and poorly equipped as spiritual leaders in their own homes. They're bewildered by the contradictions between their religious beliefs and the lifestyles promoted by Madison Avenue, Hollywood, Wall Street, and the popular media. Yet, they do nothing about addressing their shortcomings. Unable to make sense of these obvious contradictions, some parents have abdicated their biblical responsibility, hoping their children will encounter the faith and ethics conversations elsewhere. Others have abandoned their Bibles, deferring to popular myths and slick jargon to make sense of their troubled lives. Still, others address their inner turmoil by trying to find an elusive point of balance somewhere between biblical morality and the popular secular values that dominate the world in which they live. And then he says, To be brutally honest, many families that once called themselves Christian are into their second or third generation of living in a godless home environment. Second or third generation. This convicts all of us who have an honest heart and in a way that's connected to the godly home environment on display with the story of Mary from today's gospel reading. Contrast your faithfulness to God's word with that of Mary's faithfulness from our gospel. What did Elizabeth say in Luke 1.46? Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. When the angel told Mary that she would conceive a son, even though she was a virgin, which contradicts human understanding, Mary responded in faith, saying, Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Luke 1.38 Mary didn't lean on her own understanding, her human reason, not at all. What did she lean on? God's word. This is central for living a godly life in a godless culture, our culture. Proverbs 3 gives shape to Mary's faith as it was and ours as it should be. Listen to Proverbs 3, verses 1 through 4. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For the length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. That's the fourth commandment, right? Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart. 
So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. What did the angel say to Mary when he appeared to her? Do you remember? It wasn't in this reading. It's the verse right before our gospel reading. He says, do not be afraid. Fear not, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And what does Mary sing in the Magnificat? We heard it. For behold, from now on, all generations of mankind will call me blessed. Mary, keeping the commandments of the Lord, keeping the word of God in her heart, had steadfast love and faithfulness. Proverbs 3, 5 to 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Good Lutheran question. What does this mean? It means God's word, which the Holy Spirit has preserved for us in scripture so that we can study it so that we can write it on the tablets of our hearts, memorizing it, ingesting it, so that it will shape us. It's what directs our thoughts and our actions. It means what you do and what you say and what you believe is informed and normed, shaped by the Bible. That is what gives you your character, your identity. Mary was told that she was pregnant even though she was a virgin. What? How's that work, God? But she didn't trust her reason. She didn't trust her own understanding. She believed God's word. Okay, God can do that. All right. Let it be as you say. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guarded her heart and mind in Christ Jesus as Paul writes in Philippians 4, 7. But this is not how we live today, is it? It's not. If it was, we would know Scripture. We would know our Bibles. We would know it's, it's the Word that guides our every step, and it truly would guide our every step. You would know how to behave in this secular, godless culture of ours. What to do in this situation or that. Because you would have the wisdom of the Lord inscribed on your heart, the tablet of your heart. It would be like a yoke around your neck and every step you took would be, to, would be guided by the word of God, directing your path. As it is, someone can ask us to show them from scripture why or how or where or when or, or what, and we're like, yeah, Google it, right? I mean, we don't know it. So back to our book club book. Chapter five gives us a great quote from C.S. Lewis. And it's exactly what we need to repent of today as Christians in our day and age. Lewis says, there comes a moment, this is great, there comes a moment when the children who have been playing at burglars, pretending to be burglars, hush, suddenly. Was that a footstep in the hall? They think they hear an actual burglar. Was that a real footstep? There comes a moment, Lewis says, when people who have been dabbling in religion suddenly draw back from it, 
supposing we really found God. We didn't ever mean for it to come to that. Supposing he actually found us. Rubber meets the road moment. What is Lewis saying? He's saying that we too often are guilty of playing church, playing Christian, like the kids were playing burglar. We say we're Christian, but in reality, we don't actually want to live as the Christians that we say we are. We still live and move and, and have our being according to the world's wisdom instead of in God, relying on our human understanding drawn from limited experience here or there. We should do it this way. Because I did it that way for umpteen years at work with good results. Human reason. Let's proceed like this because, well, it seems more practical than what the Bible actually says. Never mind that I had to Google what the Bible says. So now let us listen carefully to one more quote from Kenneth Kremer in our book. Listen and let us be honest with ourselves. He says, the last thing many of us want is public debate about godly character, even Christians. We don't want to talk about how Mary lived, how we should be living, how our culture should be look more like Mary and Elizabeth than it does look like us. He says, such a conversation is likely to raise some embarrassing questions for me, for us. And he says, this much has to be said, though. Whenever the conversation finally happens, it will require more courage than we've been able to muster in a half a century or more. Yeah, that's how long, two or three generations, we've been adrift. And he says, a kind of courage that is of biblical proportion is the key for engaging in the dialogue that follows. Have we forgotten to teach with words and actions, Christ's moral courage in dying for us. Have we failed to notice how often Jesus tried to prepare his disciples to be courageous enough to follow his example? And then he says, this is a crucial conversation, much of which has gone missing from the people of God's church over the last few decades. Continuing, if we fail to embrace it, Countless steeples will be crushed by the weight of complacency. The unadorned truth of the matter, he says, is that we are not gambling with brick-and-mortar investments, nor is this a noble effort to save our stately institutions or rescue the sacred principles of the republic. None of that. He says we're gambling with the eternal future of the blood-bought souls of our own sons and daughters. We need to be held accountable, he says, individually and collectively as a church for our reckless disregard for moral rightness. And the Christians in Humboldt County, you and I, we can attest to this truth firsthand. We used to have a church in Eureka, no more. We used to have a church in Fortuna, no more. The internet still tells people we have a church in Arcata, but it's been a farce for decades. This very church, the blessed St. Mark Lutheran Church, was at the brink of closure 
the doors were held open just a little bit longer when the remnant from Eureka and the remnant from Fortuna crossed the bridge, gathering around the last remaining faithful altar. And then the weight of complacency that we've seen, not then, but the weight of complacency that we've seen in the American Christian experience in the last half century or more was visible firsthand in our local area. In recent memory, we see the results of it. And this steeple would have crumbled too under that same weight, if not for the Lord's grace. He forced us, dragged us out of our own complacency. Those of you who are here before June of 2021, and those of you who come after me, all of us, if we call ourselves Christian today, had been complacent prior to. Gambling with the eternal souls of our own sons and daughters, and indeed our very own souls. How complacent I was as a pastor trying to do things according to the American Christian way, meeting everybody where they're at and loving them slowly to the Lord and all this hoorah CEO marketing stuff. Meanwhile, people are dying. Meanwhile, we're letting our neighbors go adrift and we're wondering, why is the, why is the culture getting so anti-Christian, so godless? Well, maybe it's because we're not actually stepping up to the plate. Maybe it's because we're complacent, even among the clergy who should know better. So the young generation among us, I want to ask you guys a question. If you're under 30, we'll call that the young generation. Wow. <laughs> How will you live? That's the question for you. Will you be complacent in your faith? Will you repeat the sins of the generations that have come before you in our land? Will you, young people, grow and age as Christians without actually living as Christians or living as Christians who have convinced themselves not to put any flesh, any skin in the game? Will you add to the weight of complacency that's toppling churches today, grumbling about it as you see it happening, living in sin while giving lip service to Jesus, especially around the holidays, right? That's what we do. We know, we have a term for this. They're called Christers, Christians who only come to church on Christmas and Easter. That's not a Christian. I'm sorry, that's not a Christian. That's a Christian in name only. If you show up to church once or twice a year, you're breaking the third commandment, the entire rest of it. And no one's telling you anything different. That's my, that's my sin for sure. And all of us clerical types. Oh, yeah, that's good. Hey, I'm glad you're here, man. Yeah, that's awesome. And then we don't say anything harsh because they might not ever come back. Well, guess what? They're not going to come back any, anyway until next Easter. Let us jump on train tracks and love people and try to knock them out of the way of the train before it's too late. Young people, you have much more time ahead of you should the Lord delay his return than we do who are older. Cue the Wow. Thank you. Or will you, instead of living complacently, will you live according to Proverbs 3.7? We're still in our Proverbs commentary on our Mary theme here. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. 
Because this is what complacency in the American church is all about. We fear man. We fear discomfort and the cross. We fear suffering. We fear being put out. We fear a little discomfort around the holidays or around or just daily life if we bring up Jesus. Someone just told me, I was looking online at one of my videos and someone said, no, we shouldn't push Christianity on anybody. We just, I watched this pastor on YouTube. He tells me I should plant seeds that the student will be ready or the, wait, the teacher will be ready when the student comes. Take that Eastern mysticism garbage out of your head and know that planting seeds is actually telling people about Jesus. Like probably daily, the way the disciples did, the way Jesus did. It means living as Christians, dear saints, receiving his word and sacrament in church, and then taking that very word every single day to someone who needs to hear it and letting them hate you if that is their disposition toward Jesus. If we do this, if all of us, even those who are beyond the wow of our middle age and beyond, if we will turn from evil, it will be as Proverbs says, a healing to our flesh and refreshment to our bones. Proverbs 3.8. Every single one of us has and continues to change, dear saints. It's called repentance and we live in it daily. We live in our baptism daily, always having a new opportunity to repent and live not complacently, but engaged on the battlefield, even around the holidays. Every single one of us, individually and corporately, was found by God. God found you. You may have been playing church, living the American Christian life that knows next to nothing about Mary and her love and faithfulness, that's full of contradictions and can in the least relate to her, that looks just like the godless culture around us, but not anymore. That's not you. That's not you. You're a Christian. You're not defined by your sin. You're not defined by your complacency. Your complacency could have very well, very honestly been the last brick on top of the steeple before it crumbled. That could have been your sin and your guilt up there, but not anymore. That doesn't define you. You're a Christian. You're forgiven of your sins. And so now with Mary, we sing the truth. And, and we sing it in truth and in sincerity that God's mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He's scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts, it says. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the humble estate, those of humble estate. And also now with Paul, repenting of our sinfulness and striving to be shaped by Scripture, on Scripture alone, knowing what it says and what it means, you know the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. Faith is beyond human reason. Behold, you will conceive and bear a child. Ah, what? Okay, I believe that. And that peace Guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This peace which Mary sang about and Paul wrote about, that they knew it was nailed to the cross for you. It's not an it, it's a he. Jesus, he is your peace. Crucified and resurrected for you. See, this is the thing. 
Christian steeples aren't built out of brick and mortar. Human stones. And Jesus can resurrect a steeple anytime he wants. I'm looking at a room full of resurrected steeples. Christians brought back from their sin in repentance, made faithful yet again, just as I saw last week, and if the Lord delays, I'll see next week. We are forgiven of our sins. We need not be trapped by our complacency or haunted by our past. It's Christ Jesus, crucified and resurrected for you, that is your everything. Our sins of leaning on our own understanding instead of being shaped by Scripture, even while calling ourselves Christian, our sins of playing pretend and avoiding the hard conversations for lack of courage, of not being the Christians we say we are, even under the second or third generation at this point, of, of, of saying I'm Christian and then living just like the world, where nobody from the outside could make a distinction between you and your, your secular neighbor, all of these sins and every other sin you could tally up has been absolved by the sacrifice of Christ for you. Thanks be to God, you are forgiven of your sins. As we read in Proverbs 3, 11 and 12, my son, do not despise discipline from the Lord or be, or be weary of his reproof. It's good for us. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves. As a father, the son in whom he delights. And so we, being honest with ourselves, we sing yet again with Mary, with fully cleaned consciences. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Amen. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.